So um, I'm going to tell you about the first time I got pregnant. I was pretty terrified of early on of what was inevitably coming. All right. I was excited to have a baby. I was excited to be a mom. Um, but there was this thing I knew I had to do before I got to hold this sweet newborn in my arms. It was called giving birth. Most of what I'd heard about the experience didn't make it sound like it was a lot of fun. From what I'd seen on TV, it was messy. It often happened in inconvenient places, and there was usually lots of screaming involved. People often talk about the pain of birth. When I told my first obstetrician that despite my fear, I really was considering giving birth without pain medication so as to like be fully present to the experience, he looked at me smugly and scoffed, saying, well, you know it's the most intense pain in human experience. I felt this like wave of judgment. It fueled my own insecurity for a moment before I remembered that he himself had never actually birthed anything. So maybe he wasn't the best person to tell me what birth was like or whether I was up for it. The midwife, I found afterwards, was a lot more helpful. Because <laughs> she didn't pretend that having baby, she didn't pretend that having baby wasn't a lot of work. There's a reason it's called labor, after all. But she understood what made the labor possible. She could share with me this secret of it in a way that no one else had. The secret of labor was the rhythm. Yes, there would be contractions, painful moments of tightening as this new life was coming forth. But there would also be breaks. There would be times to rest between the work. I'd been in pain before. I'd had the pain of bad back spasms that would like go on uncontrollably, right, for hours. That felt unbearable. But labor was a pain that was actually manageable because it had a rhythm to it, a rhythm that could carry you through the discomfort, through the weariness, through the even experiences of suffering because it wasn't unrelenting. Whenever it hurt, you knew that there was relief coming. Understanding that secret of rhythm got me through not just one, but three labors in my life without pain medication. None of them were easy, but I, for me, they were some of the most important experiences in my life. And each of them helped teach me the importance of entering healthy rhythm, trusting the rhythm to carry me through whatever challenge was in my way. Now I start with all of that because it's a new year, beginning of another decade, five days into 2020, and this is a time of year that lots of folks like to make some space to reflect on the year that was and maybe set some intentions for the year we're entering, right? Some of us might have made resolutions. Some of us might have broken them already. <laughs> Whether or not you're a fan of New Year's resolutions, I think, I think a lot of us find it necessary at this time of year to kind of get some things in order, right? There's decorations to be put away, a schedule to recalibrate, emails to catch up on, bills to pay, 
and perhaps maybe some healthier habits to re-engage with as the year begins. Things that have like fallen by the wayside in the blur of Advent and in the end of the year hustle and bustle. Sometimes that might mean picking up a new practice. It was a year ago at this time that Marie Kondo's tidying up on Netflix like really took off. Lots of folks, Martins included, going through their closets to try to identify what might spark joy and get rid of whatever didn't, right? Other times it might mean getting back to a practice or a set of practices that you've learned before but you haven't always done consistently. Lots of us go back to the gym in January, or maybe we do it more regularly than it's been in a while. And with that in mind, I thought maybe it would be useful for these first couple Sundays we're together this year to think about together some habits of faith that we might do well to consider cultivating or recultivating as this year gets underway, and for that matter, as this decade gets underway. These are things that some of us might have considered quite a lot before. They may be review, or they might be new to some of us and worth considering adopting as we establish some new routines this year. And this brings me back to this initial conversation about rhythm, bringing order to our relationship with time itself. The first obstetrician I had met thought numbing the pain through medication was the only way of dealing with the inconvenience, the discomfort of labor. But my midwife understood the deeper wisdom of labor, that it didn't need to be numbed. It needed to be followed. There was a pattern to work with, an ordering of time to engage with that could actually bring empowerment and strength to me instead of numbing the experience. The truth is, it's not just laboring mothers who need to tap into, I think, healthier rhythms, healthier relationships with time. Many of us go through seasons where our relationship with time becomes disordered. Life has begun to feel unrelenting. We might feel stuck in more and more of the same challenging circumstances. Every day feels like the one before. It seems like the only solution to dealing with a monotony is to numb the pain. But I don't think we're intended to live that way, in that kind of disordered relationship with time. If we feel caught in a mundane, despairing loop, I believe God would desire us to find freedom and life through developing a healthier relationship with the calendar. In fact, I think our tradition teaches us that the divine has been committed to that project of helping humans to order our time for quite a while. And people for, of faith for many ages in multiple faiths have understood this when they've chosen to observe the Sabbath. Now, if I had to wager a guess, I would guess that Sabbath is the law most ignored with impunity by most Christians. And that's included me. It's, I'm not coming to you as an expert. I'm coming to you confessing this is something I myself am still trying to grow in. I personally go through seasons of leaning into this, experiencing the benefits of regular rhythms. And then things get chaotic. I become not so protective around my practices. 
and everything gets a bit off. So I'm coming here as a fellow learner, myself, wanting as the year begins to re-engage, to, to recultivate my better habits and inviting you into the same as we think about how we might healthfully order our time. Cool? So let's think about where this Sabbath practice, this whole idea comes from, right? In the Judeo-Christian faiths, uh, the practice of Sabbath, the invitation for humans to order their time in a particular way, that's first seen in the story of Exodus, okay? And where this practice, um, where the fact that it comes up in Exodus matters, I think, it tells us something about the practice because ultimately Exodus is a story of liberation, Exodus is a story of liberation. At its core, Exodus is a story about God setting people free from slavery. All right? We're talking about a life of slavery in Egypt, specifically the Hebrew slaves. There's this primary, and this story was the primary story of identity for the Hebrew people. Okay? As they're kind of coming to know themselves they're, um, as a people, they're telling this story in Exodus to kind of understand who they are. Genesis is like background information. It's like the prologue. But Exodus tells the Hebrew people who they really are. They're the ones who've been delivered by the divine from slavery into freedom, right? And at the heart of this story, the problem presented in Exodus was that the slaves in Egypt led a pretty despairing life. Rob Bell would say that uh, despair, he defines despair as like the same thing over and over and over again and no hope for anything else, right? And I would say that that's pretty much where those Hebrew slaves were. Their whole life, everything they could see before them, making bricks, building buildings with them day after day for the Pharaoh, okay? Bricks, bricks, bricks. Building, building, building. That's all there is. It is a despairing cycle. And this heart of this story is a God who sees that despair, who hears the cries of those who are stuck in it. And God's heart is moved. And this God uses signs and wonders to convince the Pharaoh to let the slaves go free, leads them into the desert. And in the desert, what does God do? Almost right off the bat, God gives them the Sabbath. Before they have a law, they're given the Sabbath. Now, it starts with breakfast, specifically, in this case, manna. Okay? The former slaves, now delivered, living, journeying through the desert, their labor now is collecting breakfast. It's gathering manna every morning. Okay? They're supposed to gather every morning the, what they need for the day. They're not supposed to save it for the next day. If they do, they're told it's going to get filled with maggots, it's going to smell bad, so you only get what you need every day. But it's going to be there, food from heaven. And God tells them once a week, there won't be any manna. On the sixth day, you're supposed to gather enough for two days. Okay? This is the beginning of the practice we call Sabbath. This big gum is from Exodus 16, verse 21. 
After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. And then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. And he told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. It's good. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Don't go pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. So this is the story that's the origin for what would become this core religious practice, particularly for the Jewish faith, right? And here's what I find most interesting about it, is this line, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. The Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. It's not supposed to be an onerous burden. It's not supposed to be like this thing that we have to try to figure out how to work ourselves into. It's a gift. So what's the gift? I think probably the gift is multifaceted. So I'm going to kind of break it into a few that I think are included in this gift. And the first is where we started, the gift of rhythm. The gift of rhythm. It's the midwife's secret. The rhythm is a gift. Okay? From the beginning, the Sabbath is a radical break from the identity of slavery. It's a break from the despair of monotony, from bricks and bricks. They aren't just going to go from bricks and bricks and bricks to manna, manna, manna. No, God wants to change the patterning. Right? Instead, God is instituting a new rhythm. Instead of work, 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 it's work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. There's a rhythm to it. And it's called a holy Sabbath. Holy simply means set apart, distinctive, unique, its own thing. This is supposed to be a day that's different than the other days. That is what's core to the rhythm. So what do they mean by rest, a day of rest? Are we talking about a nap? I think we might get a clue of what might be meant by this when the Sabbath is described um, a few chapters later in the midst of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four says this in Exodus 20. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. 
And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. And this includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And this is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So here we are reminded of the foundation of this Sabbath, right? It comes in this Genesis creation myth, this, this story that God's own rest at the end of the creation story kind of gives us a template for why we need to rest. But God didn't need a nap, okay? That's not what we're talking about. The creator of the universe doesn't need a nap, right? It must be something else. The Hebrew word for rest is menucha. And that means more like joyous repose, tranquility, delight. Perhaps God needed a chance to revel in the goodness of what God had made. Maybe that is what the story is telling us. The creator wanted the opportunity to bask in the glory of their creation, to appreciate it, to savor it, to fall in love with it. God needed to inhabit this creation so the divine could not just produce and produce and produce, but actually have the space to appreciate and experience and be moved by the thing this God has made, to take it in, to bond. Dan Allender is a therapist, an author, a professor who's done a lot of work around understanding the Sabbath, and he describes God rest, God's rest after creation this way. <laughs> he also uses a birth metaphor. In many ways, God's rest on the seventh day of creation is paralleled, paralleled by the birthing process and the period after birth. When the labor is fi finished, yet the bonding begins. The mother and father gaze endlessly at their child, who is distant from their parents because she's no longer merely in the mind and in the womb of the mother, but external and separate. She's no longer solely in the imagination or deep in the womb, she's finally released to be held in the arms of the parent. And this attachment brings mother and child into a bond that, if secure, will last through thick and thin, heartache and loss, and provide this child with an assurance that all will be well. Perhaps this is the rest the divine was entering into. Bonding with creation. Perhaps this is what we are invited into. More than a nap, more than even sitting quietly, maybe it's allowing room to connect with what's stirring in our souls, to connect with what our work is really about, to connect with the life it is we are making to lock eyes with our divine parent, experience them reveling in us. Now, I got to confess, this isn't always a fun experience. Sometimes I think we keep the routine up of busyness because to slow down, to actually be still and quiet, 
to look into the eyes of the divine who cares for us might mean acknowledging the places in our hearts that are, are really hurting. The truth is, I think there's a reason in the last year that I've been resistant to the rhythm of Sabbath. This is my confessional. Because sometimes I'd rather keep moving than to come to terms with what's really happening inside. As most of you know, I think, last fall, two of the closest women in my life, my one and only sister and one of my best girlfriends, were both given very, very serious cancer diagnoses. And this last year has been about accompanying both of these dear women, both who are young mothers, who have kids I love, who love my kids, accompanying them through serious treatment, which is not clear will resolve neatly in, in either case. When I keep moving, I don't on a day-to-day -day basis feel the impact of walking these journeys with these people I love. But when I force myself to stop, to pray, to open my heart before my creator, that's when I feel the grief. I feel the fear. I feel the confusion. I feel the anger. I feel the loss and the longing for hope, for healing. I feel it all. I don't always want to feel it. It's not easy to take a break from life's routine and enter into that kind of rest. It's not just a day off. But I know I need it. I know I don't want my heart to harden. I know I don't want to become detached from you all, <laughs> from the other people in my life I care deeply about. I don't want to become detached from the people who need me. And so in order to stay soft, in order to really be present, I recognize I need to regularly make space for this kind of intentional feeling, reveling, rest. I need this rhythm. It's the only way. I cannot only stay connected to the hard feelings, but that I think I can also experience what I think is the second gift that the Sabbath is intended to bring. And that is the gift of delight. When we numb, we numb everything. We might not feel the hard, but we also don't feel the great, right? I think that's actually, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not prescriptive about birth for anyone. But for me, I wanted to be present to all of it. That's why learning the rhythm was something I chose to do and to enter into. I didn't want to be numb to anything. And I think when we are numb, or when we're not dialed in, we not only don't feel the hard stuff, but we also miss the delight. Which, again, this uh, guy, Dan Allender, who's done a lot of work in Sabbath, would say is maybe what a big part of what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. That sense of revelry in creation that we see in the Creator. 
the delight of God is core to experiencing the Sabbath, entering into that delight, experiencing it ourselves. So this guy, Dan, calls the Sabbath a day of delight, a day when we're free from the constraints of work to experience the things that bring us true pleasure, true joy, and connect us with a joyful, generous, loving God. And Allender doesn't seem to just be making this stuff up because he's like a hedonist or something. It actually is in the scripture, okay? Look at the words of Isaiah regarding how the people of God should experience the Sabbath in Isaiah 58. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is a celebration if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. I'll make you ride high, soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. It says if the divine wants us to experience a break from the monotony, a break from the need to secure what we can for ourselves and our existence, and experience the joy of what we already have. It's not just for self-awareness. It's not just for sleep. It is for that kind of joy, that delight, that celebration, that play, feasting, partying, fun. I think Jesus got really frustrated with the religious people of his day because they seemed to have lost touch with that part of the Sabbath. Right? So in Mark 2... It says this, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures when David did what he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God, broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then he said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's like he's saying, talk about an exercise in missing the point. These religious people have gotten so concerned with keeping the Sabbath correctly, with figuring out what qualifies as work, what doesn't, what can you do, what can't you do, that they've completely lost the joy of it, right? They've forgotten the delight. They've forgotten this is a gift. It is a gift to you. Sabbath keeping has now become a way of truthfully proving yourself to be a good, righteous follower of God. How well you keep the Sabbath has become, for some in this culture, a means of testifying your devotion and identifying the heretics who aren't doing it as well as you are. But this, too, here's the thing. This, too, is a kind of work, right? They've just traded God's pattern for the old familiar one. Work, 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 religious work right? Just more work. It's just religious work. And honestly, this can be a temptation for us too, okay? Many of us who grew up in church understand going to church or serving in church on Sunday as being our fulfillment of the Sabbath. And I think, sure, it can be a part of that. I think it can be an important part of that. 
but I believe clearly what Jesus intended for us was more than simply religious work. Or what we might experience in this hour, hour and a half on Sunday, as good as that hour might be. And that's part of why I think actually this model we've landed in over the last couple of years of doing this gathering, this particular gathering twice a month, is very helpful in this season of Haven's life particularly for a lot of us to experience Sabbath more holistically. Because certainly our worship here can be an important part of our Sabbath practice. But especially for those of us who are busy doing the stuff of helping make this gathering happen, when we're doing it week and week and week and week after week, some of us were there when we tried to do that. It could times become just more work, right? Now, I'm not going to speak for what our community might want to do in the future as we grow, but at least in this season of our life, I think that leaning into this rhythm of two gatherings has given a lot of us an opportunity to kind of experience a little more holistically um, balance that allows us to experience some Sabbath in a regular basis and not just work, 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 religious work. The Pharisees and these other religious leaders of Jesus' day, I think they missed the point of Sabbath because they put the emphasis in the wrong place. As they were outwardly proclaiming the importance of the law and focusing on the minutiae of its lettering, they lost the spirit of it. And Jesus was frustrated because it wasn't ever supposed to be that way. And that brings us to finally what I think is the third gift for us. The gift of inclusive community. This is one you might not think about, but it is there. The gift of inclusive community. Interestingly, some of these religious leaders in Jesus' time were using the Sabbath as a way of dividing, right? A way of demonstrating who's in, who's out of the proper religious club. But Jesus and his followers had to be out because, you know, Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. He was picking grain and eating it. But the thing is, that very act of division is actually totally counter to the spirit and heart of what Sabbath practice was intentionally supposed to be about. Because Sabbath was never supposed to be about an individual taking a day to build up their own self-righteousness. It's about holistic, inclusive community. It's about relationship, about laying down division and coming to feast at the same table, about connection, because Sabbath was for everyone. No one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. In a culture that had that kind of social stratification, this was a radical policy. The slaves get a day off. The cows get a day off. Everyone gets this day off. Kids, adults, everyone plays on the Sabbath. We're all going to eat at the same table, master and servant eating together. We are all doing this together. Theologian Walter Brueggemann talks in his book, um, he has a book called The Sabbath as Resistance. 
And he describes, he, he says how the Sabbath invites communities to resist exclusivism, resist exclusionary practices. And he says it this way. It's because Sabbath represents a radical disengagement from the producer-consumer rat race of the empire. It is an anti-capitalist project to practice the Sabbath. That's my little insert. Back to Brueggemann. The community welcomes members of any race or nation, any gender or social condition, so long as that person is defined by justice, mercy, and compassion, and not competition, achievement, production, or acquisition. So that full inclusion that the Sabbath was meant to embody, that even included the land. Greta Thunberg would be so proud, right? The ancient Israelites were supposed to give the land a Sabbath every seven years once they got to the promised land. Work the land for six years, give it a year off in the seventh because the Sabbath was an inclusive concept. Everyone needs rest, even the land, right? It is like this rhythm built into creation, just like the rhythm of labor is built into creation, so we have this heritage, this gift called the Sabbath that's often been, I think, so often been overlooked, particularly in our current million miles an hour, plugged in at every moment, uber capitalist society, right? We overlook this heritage, this gift. And it's sadly often been overlooked by followers of Jesus. But I'm thinking as a new decade begins, it's a gift that I think many of us would be helped by acquainting ourselves more with. Because y'all, I have a feeling this year, this decade, there's going to be some heavy labor involved. It's going to be work. It's going to be work to bring new things to life. We're regularly going to be invited to despair. I think we're going to be invited to fall into the monotonous loop of cynicism and pain and feel the num temptation to simply numb it. But perhaps this gift of Sabbath with its rhythm, its delights, its community might be an important part of us finding the empowerment and strength we need for the challenges ahead. So if you think that might be true for you, I just want to end by offering you Three ideas, three Sabbath practices you might consider to reorder your relationship with time. And the first is this, find your rhythm. It doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It could be Wednesday. Whatever you can do to have a consistent time of the week that's set apart for connection with the divine and with others around you, Consider how that might play a role in how you order your time. Uh, it might be like, I, I mean, I'm in this season, have found the most helpful thing is because we have this every other Sunday schedule, my, I kind of have a, a, a Sabbath schedule that parallels that. So on weeks that we have this, you know, once we're all done with lunch and any meetings we have, like, I'm just trying to like dial out for about 24 hours. So if you email me tomorrow, I probably won't respond right away. I will get there, but that's why. But on weekends that we're not gathering, 
I want to use some of my Sabbath time when my family's around and when I, when I can have time with them. And so those Sabbaths are going to be more like during the weekend for me. So you have to figure out what rhythms make sense for you, right? I don't think we have to be religious about it. The Sabbath is for us. It's the gift, right? It's not for us to, to it's not to control us. It's to bring life to us. But figure out what works. All right, second, continue, consider engaging your senses. This is connecting with the delight. That's that, that idea of kind of being captivated by creation, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. What are the sights, sounds, tastes, touches that might make you feel most alive, most full of delight, most connected to God and the universe around you? What would it mean to engage those intentionally? So some people on their Sabbaths like to take a hike, like to go for a swim, like to take a long walk in a beautiful place or um, eat a really good meal, drink really nice wine. Whatever it is for you that's going to help you feel like, oh, I'm glad to have senses. I'm grateful for the world I live in. Just wearing, I, I like cozy pajamas. I'm like one of those people that likes, you know, tactile, a warm, cozy blanket <laughs> uh, with a good cup of coffee in the morning. You know, that kind of moment for me is part of engaging Sabbath. Um, some people experience ritual in this, in this way to be really helpful. I mean, you know, our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith are the ones to learn from in terms of Sabbath observance. And, you know, lighting candles at the beginning of the Sabbath experience is, is, an, is a core part of that, that ritual um, that engages the senses and brings us into kind of that sense of we are entering into something intentionally again. Um, and you might consider as part of this engaging your senses also disengaging from some digital things, right? Perhaps turning the phone off for the day. I'm not saying you have to. But if that is a way that you can find yourself bringing some rhythm uh, by, by unplugging so that you can plug into other things, I think that could be meaningful for a lot of us. And finally, my last um, tip practice to reorder our time is find your people, right? This idea that Sabbath isn't just something we do on our own, but there's a component of it that's inclusive community. That's a little more challenging than when we're in a culture in which everything shuts down on one day and we all just are going to be eating together because everyone is practicing it. We have to be a little more intentional about Sabbathing with one another, about making space to figure out who should be at our table this week? Whose table are we going to, to be with? Um, so I invite you to consider that. Find your rhythm, engage your senses, find your people. All right. I'm going to end us by uh, just a moment of prayer. And we'll invite the Spirit to kind of take us forward in this. Mm. Mm. Creator God, we thank you that you are one who, I believe, has embedded rhythms that bring life into our very bodies and into the created world. 
and we confess the ways in which our culture and many of us along with it have detached from some of those natural rhythms. We confess um, how we also have taken maybe Jesus' words that we're, we're not to be controlled by the Sabbath, um, to be kind of licensed to ignore it altogether. We confess just our own struggle to believe that there's going to be manna for tomorrow. We don't have to collect it. It's okay to stop. It's okay to work, 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 rest. We want to be present to all that is happening in the world, as frightening as it is, as beautiful as it is, all of it. And we recognize that we need um, the strength and empowerment that rhythm can bring to be present to it. Would you be giving us um, inspiration and accompaniment in our times of Sabbath this year? Would we experience more um, holistic health and freedom and the gift of your presence and joy as we enter into it more fully? Amen.